Welcome, and thanks for joining us for Episode 2 of the Design Your Network for the Internet for the Future podcast, brought to you by Network World and sponsored by Cisco. I'm Barbara Call, Senior Director of Content Strategy and Operations with IDG, and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm joined today by Pat Chow, Product Manager at Cisco. Welcome, Pat. Tell us a little bit about your role at Cisco. Thanks, Barbara. Nice to be here. Uh, Like you said, I'm a Product Manager at Cisco. Uh, More specifically, I'm in the Cisco Optics team, where we manage the pluggable optics modules that Cisco sells. Great. Nice to have you. So we've been talking about the Internet for the future, the why and the when. I want to start with what are pluggable optics and why are they increasingly important to building your networks for future Internet connectivity? So first, um, okay, what are pluggable optics? Pluggable optics are these little metal modules that you need to connect switches, routers, and servers together. They're they're basically optical transceivers, which convert high-speed electrical signals into optical signals, and vice versa. So you can use fiber optic cables for these connections. You know, once you get to certain data rates over certain distances, copper cables just can't do it, and fiber optics is really the only option. You know, I wish I could show a sample to the people listening, but it's an audio podcast. But just to describe it, these, these pluggable modules are usually like the size of an old-fashioned pack of spearmint gum or, or like a Pez dispenser, maybe. And what you do is you plug them into the host, which is the, the switch or router or server, which has the sockets. We, we, we call them ports, actually. So you plug these metal optic modules into a, into a port, and then you plug the fiber optic cable into the module. So why are they pluggable? Why not just build them into the host? Great question. So one of the main reasons is that you can tailor the specs, the optical transceiver inside the module, the data rate and fiber length and fiber type that the network architecture requires. Some designs are are, are less than 100 meters. Others can actually go like several tens of kilometers. You can imagine that these are going to be very, very different optical designs inside. Another reason is flexibility. You can, you can actually buy a switch with more ports than you need right now, and then just plug in more optics over time as the need arises. Now, as for why they're becoming more important now, basically it's because these days choosing the right optics can actually impact your network architecture design and your network operations, too. Let's talk about that a little bit. What should network engineers and network managers keep in mind when designing and expanding their networks? Well, the first thing to do is you want to start paying attention to the optics like from the get-go, at the beginning. You know, back in the day, optics used to be somewhat of like an afterthought in the network design process because, I mean, there were only a few options. And it was pretty simple to just match the type of optics to the, the distance and the data rate and the fiber type. But as the data rates have increased, like beyond 10 gigabit, you see more choices available. And the differences between these choices are not always immediately obvious. So, you know, you want to get that squared away up front. And it can actually have implications in the fiber cable infrastructure. Because some some of the transceivers now use ribbon cabling and ribbon fiber breakouts. And not only do you have to think about, you know, how the pluggables and the pluggable optics and the fiber cable infrastructure designs go together, those choices can actually affect other things like how easy or difficult it is to execute network hardware upgrades in the future. So smart and informed decisions up front can save a lot of hassle and money down the road. Like, for instance, 
Cisco's 40 gig and 100 gig by optics. These are great examples of ways that we enabled our customers to avoid having to add new fiber when you upgrade from 10 gig. Uh, another thing to think about is the fact that not all optics are equal. Our team at Cisco um, and the optics group, we do the qualification and testing of new optics on our hosts. Again, these are the, the switches, routers, and servers. And we find tons of issues every time. And, you know, we have to fix them before we release the product. So another thing to keep in mind is that at 100 gig and 400 gig, these are kind of like the latest and greatest data rates. There are even more things that can go wrong because they're just inherently more complex. And at these data rates, you know, we, we now have things like breakout applications, which people should keep in mind when they plan for hardware upgrades. And again, like I said, fiber infrastructure. Why are 100 gig and 400 gig more complex? Well, they, they pretty much have to be in order to support those higher data rates. I mean, if you look at the difference between 1 gig optics and 10 gig optics, design-wise, it was mostly a matter of just increasing the bandwidth of the laser transmitters and photoreceivers. But once the need for 40 gig came out, things started to change. So first of all, we had to go to four channels of 10 gig because the ASICs on the hosts, they still use 10 gig electrical lanes for their interfaces. And then, and then when we got 25 gig lanes to the ASICs, we could actually do 100 gig but that's four channels of 25 gig. Now at 400 gig uh, today, we eight channels of 50 gig. So that, that's just the channel in the lane structure on the electrical side. There's also the task of dealing with the faster signals themselves. When you, when you go faster in general, you're going to be more susceptible to noise. So at like 100 gig to support those four channels of 25 gig lanes, the industry actually started using pre and post filtering in the electrical interface between the module and the host port. You know, it, it works great, but, you know, those filters have settings and options, and you just have to make sure that they're, they're done right. If they're not, then it's, it's not going to work. So it's just another layer of complexity. And then at some, at some point uh, during the 100 gig uh, standards rollouts, the newer ones started to use forward error correction. That's another layer of complexity. And also, starting with 100-gig transceivers, some of the components, like uh, the clock and data recovery chips inside, they had to get more complicated. And some of them even require specific initialization sequences that both the module and the host port have to be aligned with. So they, they have to be in sync with each other. So if, if any of this stuff goes wrong, you can't use it. Again, it, it all works great, but you just have to make sure that you get it right. And there are more things to get right now. And... And what I've described so far is just what can happen between the module and the host port. There's also the optical interoperability. So some optical transceiver types are actually meant to talk with other types. So like two different optical standards or formats, they're designed to actually interoperate with each other through the, the optical fiber cable. Again, they're, they're standardized, and so they're designed to support this interoperability. But, you know, it's on paper. It's not perfect. So, again... When we test this, we find problems that need to be fixed. And we'll, we'll even find issues between optics of the same exact type, but made by different vendors. So basically, if you, don't, if you don't do the testing to catch the problems and fix them before you actually deploy this in a production network, you're, you're basically going in blindfolded. So that's why testing and qualifying optics, what we do in our group, it's so critical if you want to prevent network downtime, which, of course, is really expensive for a lot of businesses. Okay, thanks. Great. 
So before we continue our conversation, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. The Design Your Networks for the Internet for the Future podcast is presented by Network World in partnership with Cisco. Cisco's converged SDN transport architecture is a game changer and differentiator. Innovations in optics, silicon, routing systems, and automation are allowing operators to substantially change the economics of their network in support of existing and new services. Today's networks are siloed and complex, a product of overlaying new technologies on top of old. By adopting a convergence mindset and the pillars of converged SDN transport architecture, service providers and enterprises can simplify and at the same time future-proof for the Internet for the future. And now back to our show. Pat, you talked about the importance of qualifying and testing optics. What does that involve? You know, a lot of people think qualifying optics is just a matter of plugging them into the host port and connecting to another optic in another host port with a fiber cable and running traffic through it, doing that on a benchtop in a lab. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's definitely better than nothing. It's, it's way better than nothing. But if you think about it, it's basically a snapshot of near-ideal conditions. The, the truth is that your, your real system in the real world is going to be facing a lot of other variables. So like at Cisco, what we do, they're, they're insanely rigorous tests. We're actually known in the optics industry for having the most stringent testing requirements. We'll, we'll start with the module itself, dressing like the, the temperature and voltage conditions and testing with poorly performing fiber, like worst case fiber conditions. There's also accelerated aging tests to make sure that they actually last their full intended lifetime in the field. We, we, we first focus on the electrical interface between the module and the various Cisco host ports that it's going to be plugging into. We make sure that all that traffic runs smoothly over the long term. Uh, we'll, we'll also check to make sure that the various combinations of, of interoperable optics really do talk to each other optically without dropping packets or showing bit error rates that are out of spec. Now, I, you know, I mentioned interoperability isn't just between optics of different types. You, you have to make sure optics from different vendors of the same type still talk to each other. And, you know, this is actually becoming more difficult with 100 gig and 400 gig because of that higher complexity that I mentioned before. And dropping packets, that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's actually a lot of mundane but still very important things that can go wrong. Now, like the module may not get turned on at all because of some low-speed electrical interface issue, or it could even get physically stuck in the port. You know, these are things that people don't think about. They're not the fanciest problems, but... You need to you need to vet all these out before before we let anything out the door. And I'll, I'll tell you, nothing has ever passed all the tests on the first try. This whole process, I mean, it usually requires getting the designers and manufacturing people involved to make the necessary changes. It's it's really a lot of work, and we we have this team of hundreds of people doing just this every day. It's a big job, and on top of that, you know, everything that I've said was for Cisco posts. On top of that, for a lot of our products, what we do is we apply additional stress, make sure that they're going to be robust when they're plugged into non-Cisco host ports because other host ports, you know, there's going to be variations in the port design. You know, they might even be out of spec. You can never tell. So, like I said, we're actually known in the industry for going way above and beyond what anybody else does. It's, 
you know, sometimes crazy to think about how far we go, but it's really worth it because we'll see that customers will have problems if they tried using other optics, but then when they use ours, it goes away. Okay. Thanks, Pat. So what should network operators consider when choosing optics vendors? The first thing that comes to mind is that it's it's to people's advantage to think about the bigger picture. So yes, fully qualified optics on host ports, that's really important. I don't want to minimize that. But there's even more to it than that. I mean, when you're choosing an office vendor, you're actually choosing a partner that you're going to be working with on a long-term basis. You probably want to think about, you know, how much do you trust that partner? Do you believe that that partner is going to bend over backwards to act in your interest? Or, you know, is there a little voice inside you that suspects maybe they won't be there for you when you're, when you're in a bind? And, you know, are they going to help you out doing other things like, like figuring out which optics you actually need? Remember, it can get really confusing, especially when you get up to the 100 gig and even at 40 gig. Another thing to think about is their, you know, what's their financial condition? Are they in dire straits? Like if they're not around in a year, you're going to have to do your RFQ process again. Also, if you have a problem with your deployment, can you depend on them to get their tech support on the phone 24-7? I mean, there are things like that. It's Again, the qualification is absolutely critical, but there's other stuff on top of that that are more about the, the company and the people than the, the product itself. And the, the other thing to think about is, hey, what if, you know, what is the vendor capable of? Even with the best of intentions, you know, most people have are, are well-intentioned, but what if they don't have the manufacturing capacity that you need? Or, you know, they, what if they can't support the lead times they, that they promise? Things happen, right? It's not necessarily anyone's fault, but things do happen in the real world. There might be a quality issue that they didn't have the expertise to catch before releasing their product. And, and this is a really difficult thing to do. You know, it's actually very hard to find optics technical experts to work for you because there just, just aren't that many around. Part of it is the fact that it's been historically a, a niche industry, so there's just not much for it. Another part of it is that it's just by nature very physics-based. So, you know, in, in a lot of physics-based fields, you, you really you really need, like, graduate degrees to be, you know, to get to a certain level of proficiency. In fact, out of the hundreds of people on our team, like, we have a lot of PhDs, and they're not just in technical roles. We have PhDs in business roles as well. You know, a lot of these people work really hard to make sure that our supply chain is just rock solid. So, like, before we'll work with someone, you know, they'll, they'll check on their financial health. They'll go to the factories and audit them for their manufacturing and quality practices. And then, and then, they'll do the same thing to their suppliers, too. Like, if all of our module manufacturers get their laser chip component from the same supplier, that's a risk point, right? I mean, it would be deceiving to think, well, hey, I'm safe because I'm multi-source from three different module manufacturers. But if something happens to that one laser chip supplier, all your module manufacturers are still going to go down. So that's a false sense of security that it can become a huge problem. Uh, the last thing I would say is you, you want a partner that has its finger on the pulse of the latest technology. I mean, optics is moving very fast and it's accelerating. You know, all that complexity that I was talking about with 100 gig and 400 gig, that's just the start. I mean, we have to dig deep into our bag of technical tools to get to the higher data rates. 
and to make those techniques commercially viable. And what I mean by that is just, just because you have a great idea in the lab doesn't mean it's manufacturable. At the end of the day, a great idea isn't so great if you can't crank it out in volume. Now, we're already industry leaders in silicon photonics and coherent optics. And Cisco was a leader for this new generation of 100 gig optics called single lambda 100 gig, which preps you for your next, next upgrade. So, like I said, this is just the beginning. Okay, thanks. And before we close, anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, thank you for asking. Um, this is actually a perfect opportunity to shamelessly plug the Cisco Optics podcast and blog. You can find our podcast and all the major podcast platforms by searching on Cisco Optics Podcast, and you'll find us in the Cisco Podcast Network. And to get on our blogs, go to blogs.cisco.com and search on hashtag Cisco Optics Blog with no spaces and no hyphens. Okay. Thanks so much, Pat. Great discussion. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this second episode in the Design Your Networks for the Internet for the Future podcast, presented by Network World in partnership with Cisco. I encourage you to tune in for Episode 3, where we'll explore the topic of 5G. This podcast series is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. For more information, visit www.cisco.com slash go slash optics. For IDG and Cisco, I'm Barbara Call. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated in association with its sponsor, Cisco.